From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Boulder often lands on lists of the best places to live. But for whom? Today, two stories about efforts to make Boulder more inclusive. At CU, a new center puts the focus on African and African-American studies and creates a space to build community. Our center is an African village. We want to create that African village vibe in Boulder, Colorado. Not going to be easy. And a new film explores the experiences of people of color in a city that's considered progressive. These are people that we just turn the camera on and let them speak about what's it been like to be black in Boulder, and this is what come up. If we would have talked to more people, more stories would have come up. Support for Colorado Public Radio comes in all shapes and sizes. You might give monthly as an Evergreen member or contribute during fund drives. Maybe you donated your car or gave a gift of stock. For all the ways you support CPR, thank you so much. Your generosity is deeply appreciated. Thank you for bringing trustworthy news and timeless music to listeners across Colorado. Explore all the ways to give at CPR.org. Click on Support CPR. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This semester, the University of Colorado Boulder officially launches its Center for African and African American Studies. Last week, I visited with its founding director, Professor Raylan Rabaka, who says he's been passionately campaigning for this for 17 years. Recent CU grad Ruth Wodemichael, who helped co-found this center as a student, also joined us on the tour. Rabaka's enthusiasm was evident from the moment we stepped into the first room, a place he likens to a boardroom. This is really, really important, I think, for me, not simply as a director, but also as a um, professor, because this is a space where students will be able to defend their honors theses. Can you imagine that, Ruth, if you would have been able to, to defend in here, or their master's thesis, or their doctoral dissertations? Some of the students feel incredibly alienated on the Boulder campus. Sometimes they're the only African or African-American in their department. So imagine if they could bring their committees and their family and their friends to a space where they can feel comfortable. Portions of the center will open through 2023. The first weeks of programming just wrapped up for its student services division. And Professor Robaka's vision is for the Center for African and African-American Studies to eventually serve students, alumni, faculty, staff, and the community at large. Students like Michael played an essential role in making the case for the center to university leaders. They also helped design the space itself, which they proudly note is centrally located on the Boulder campus inside Mackey Auditorium. This will also be where the Black Student Alliance and the African Student Alliance and the Caribbean Student Association will all have their meetings here. The NAACP, um, Boulder County, is raising a million dollars for our center. Wow. Um, They were the first, so even before the university. Mm. um, So they were the first to really commit to supporting the center and some of the activities that we're doing and everything. So this is our conference room. It's still, you know, we're still getting it together. Well, describe it for us. So there's this big oval table. Yes. A space where we can take care of business. And we have the fabrics, obviously. 
the orange, the fuchsia, the royal blue, mm-hmm. the stripes, just the shapes. Uh, these African accents are really, really important, I think, in the African diaspora. So I have students from Brazil, from Puerto Rico, from Cuba, from the Dominican Republic, right, from, all, from Mexico, yeah. right, from all over. But we're scattered all throughout the Americas, being part of the African diaspora, living in the African diaspora. The cultural dynamism that takes place, I want to recreate some of that in Boulder. Not going to be easy, but I want to, <laughs> I want to recreate some of that uh, in Boulder. And in fact, we say that we want to, our center is an African village. We want to create that African village vibe in Boulder, Colorado, that space where it's radically inclusive. Everybody is welcome. Nobody need be excluded. Mm-hmm. But if you want to learn about African culture, you want to engage African culture, come to the cause, right? Which is what we call the Center for African and African American Studies, the cause. And I kind of get this sense that you want this experience here at the center to be a celebration, like to feel like a celebration of the culture. Absolutely. Well, in African American studies, we say that there's a tendency to overfocus on the tragedy. Mm. We also need to focus on the triumph. So by the very fact that we have this center here at the University of Colorado Boulder, it's a triumph, right? Now, I could sing Sam Cooke. It's been a long time coming to get here. Right. It's been a lot of struggle. Right. A lot of late nights, early mornings, a um, lot of meetings and dealing with all this stuff. But now is one of those magical moments where we can have an open house and say we have a permanent space in Boulder, Colorado to share African-American culture. Well, I was on the campus in 2013 to 14 wow. doing a fellowship with the journalism school. Wow. So I so, have a point of reference okay. to some of the things that you're talking about. So two points in particular to drive home the cultural alienation that the students, the black staff, faculty feel. But for me as a prof, the intellectual isolation. Can you imagine there's nobody else, right, Mm. Um, who's dedicated full-time to do African-American studies, to do African studies, to do Caribbean studies? So a lot of times when my colleagues can go and have coffee or tea and talk about the latest journal (laughs) or article or the latest book that came out in their field, I've got to call Atlanta. I've got to call Chicago. I've got to call Detroit. Mm -hmm. I've got to call Ruth. And so this is what makes, I think, me have a very unique rapport with my students because oftentimes they are interested in many of the things that I'm interested in. So where are we now? (laughs) We're in the director's office. This is my office. And I wanted to bring some of my personality um, to my office, something that's really, really important uh, for me to, to, to build a sense of belonging here on the Boulder campus. So, so we have cloths from different countries mm-hmm. um, on the wall, from Tanzania, from Mozambique, from Ghana, from Nigeria, um, Angola. We have some of my books. I'm a geek. Uh, I read wow. three to four books a week. So <laughs> I'm somebody who grew up, we, we didn't have, you know, uh, TV. And so these books, actually, Chandra, are what first gave me a glimpse of the world beyond the projects, you know, where I grew up. Well, all I can say is since you have Prince, you're super cool and <laughs> it's over. No, but I see you have Marvin Gaye. I see you have Lead Belly, uh, uh, books about Safari style and yeah. Little Richard, a uh, little bit of everything. Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah, yeah. And then this huge, huge portrait of Malcolm X holding a newspaper. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. 
also see sculptures, books on Africa, hip hop, Mandela. And you feel like just, just having this presence, it kind of is a welcoming sign. Like I embrace this culture. This is our culture kind of a message. Absolutely. I mean, students have come into my office before and said, wow, this is like walking into Africa. I think I've never been there. Like this is the most African room I've ever been in. You know, so this whole notion of there's a lot of myths and stereotypes about continental Africa. Mm -hmm. But wow, the Africa that I know, the Africa that I go to is really incredible. I also think that there's a tendency to talk about Africa in the past. Mm. So and not the present. All right, let's keep going. All right, here we go. Uh, we're going to go to the main office next. Ruth, now don't it look different than the last time you was yeah, here? last time I was here, it was empty. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you glad they bought me some furniture? <laughs> All right, so where are we now? We're in the main office for the Center for African and African American Studies. We have started, just started, to put some of the art on the wall. It's very important, I think, for um, our folks to see images of us. Yeah, you know. so images of black and brown people. Yeah. But reaffirming images, Absolutely. positivity. Always. That's what the cause is about. So, so now we're in the main space yes. where students are going to hang out. This is what we call the living room. Okay. The living room. And you can see there's the lectern. So this is a space where we can do poetry readings. We can do lectures and community events can happen here. You can also see the lounge area where students can actually relax. Uh, and these have got to be the coolest pillows I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, a black astronaut and uh, beautiful, colorful images of black and brown people on the pillows. And then the pillow with the Adinkra symbol. There and then more art on the walls. So again, what do you um, hope the students will get out of being in here? Wow, just a space to build community. Leaders and the executive board of black student organizations will have a chance to meet in the conference room or even in his own office. But for a long time, black student organizations haven't had a space where they can have not only their executive meetings, but hold their events and where they can invite their members to come. We used to have to basically fight for space on campus, well, literally fight for space with other student organizations. So now like the living room is a perfect space where we can come together, whether that's study nights, tutoring, or just having events or coming, uh, meeting up for, for lunch or after our classes. This is a centralized space where for the first time, black students can come and be freely in community, can connect with one another, can connect with faculty and the cause staff. It's never happened before. So I'm really excited for students to have this space where they're, I mean, it's so vibrant, it's so colorful. There's black imagery everywhere and nowhere else on campus will you be able to find this type of environment that is made by us for us. And I'm noticing over here on the wall, community rules, some of which include limit electronics, yeah. listen actively, but also what's said here stays here, what's learned here leaves here. Right. This space is a safe space, it's a brave space for students and people of the black community to come and be themselves, to speak their minds and all of that, as it says, what's said here stays here, what's learned here. You can take what's learned here and grow that out of the cause. A goal of the cause is for students to connect, but really gain tools to support them outside of this space and in the larger Sea Boulder campus, but Boulder and just in their personal lives in general. Well, I noticed you mentioned the students, but what about the community? Do you hope the community yeah. will find some 
comfort and knowledge here? I do think so. I'm really excited to invite a black alumni here to say like, look, like y'all left a legacy here and this is what you can, can come home to. And also with the Boulder community at large, I'm sure they'll be invited to, to events so they can come and learn from our experiences and our stories because the cause is built through storytelling. The reason why we came and like, okay, this needs to happen is because of the continued stories of hurt and trauma and isolation that black people experience. Mm-hmm. So I hope there's a place where that can, that can be expressed, but we can also bridge those gaps and, and heal. This is the amazing associate director of the Center for African and African American Studies, John Robinson Miller IV. Um, uh, He is the one that really was central to interior designing um, our center. The art images out there, John chose those images. And since you are being credited with the design (laughs) concepts, what did you want students, what do you want students to feel as they take in all of this? I want students to feel a pride. I want students to feel that each one of these pieces, fabrics, colors has a history and that history is in them. Um, And I think lastly, I really wanted the students to see themselves and like, and especially on predominantly and historically white campuses, Oftentimes, they don't get to see themselves on the walls. They don't get to see themselves doing the things that they do. Um, and here is a place that, that they get to see that. Now I hear the do the right thing reference. <laughs> see yourself <laughs> on the wall. But uh, do you want to also create a level of cre- uh, curiosity to say, what is the, what is the Sankofa image? Oh, yes, absolutely. So we have, and Dinker symbols, we have symbols and other iconography just kind of grounded in everything that we do. And through our programming, through our values, you will slowly start to learn what those things are. So on day one, you may not be able, you may just see and just see beautiful art and see beautiful colors. But once you start coming to more and more programs, you say, oh, I know exactly what that is. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. that? Oh, it's It exists outside of the stories and outside of the programs? Absolutely. We keep walking through a study space where Rebecca expects students will bring their laptops and complete coursework. Then we turn in somewhere unexpected. So wellness room. So this room is really, really important. Over the last 17 years that I've been here, so many of my students have come to my office who've experienced racial trauma on the Boulder campus. They... They've never been in a space where, again, I myself have gone a week and not seen another black person. That's never happened until I came to Boulder, Colorado. I mean, that's a kind of cultural violence almost. And so an emphasis on health and wellness, particularly mental health, Mm -hmm. was really, really important. So here is a space where students will be able to weekly get one-on-one therapy. Some of the students feel alienated uh, going Mm -hmm. to what's called a counseling and psychological services, CAPS. Imagine if we could have the therapist come here and it was a therapist that's a black psychologist Mm. that understands racial trauma, that understands microaggressions. This room also serves as an interfaith room where students can come here to pray. They can come here to meditate. So there are a lot of different things, right? So this is a multi-purpose room. You can see here uh, that we have prayer rugs, right? We have the essential oils there. 
Um, you have a yoga mat. Mm-hmm. You have the prayer bowls uh, and everything. But So this is a space where people just want some peace and quiet. Imagine if there's student conflicts. This is where some of these can be mediated. Now you see, Chandra, we're talking about the whole mm-hmm. person. So we want to emphasize self-care. This huge wall. And this is the hallway. This is the hallway. This is the long hallway leading back to the wellness room. At some point, this will be CU Boulder Black Wall of Fame. Wow. So we will have Charles Dunbar Campbell. That's the first African-American to graduate from CU in 1912. His photo will be here. Lucille Berkeley Buchanan, mm-hmm. right? The first black woman to graduate from CU Boulder in 1918. Her photo will be here. Many of the famous physicists, black, that we've produced, biologists, anthropologists, historians. Well, obviously, this is to honor history by uh, posting the photos of the alumni. But is it also to inspire students to say, this is you. You can do this as well. Absolutely. So now that we're here, it's kind of the the motto of the Black Women's Club movement, uh, which is lifting as we climb. So the higher we get up, these alumni get up, they want to help the students come up even higher. That's what this wall will be about. Awesome. Let's rejoin the conversation with Professor Raylan Robaca and CU Boulder graduate Ruth Watermichael. We're talking about the opening of the new Center for African and African-American Studies on the Boulder campus. So, Dr. Rabaka, the new Center for African-American Studies is housed in Mackey Auditorium, where we're sitting now. When students graduate from CU Boulder, some have their department or smaller ceremonies here at Mackey. But historically, some Black students were not always allowed to participate in graduation ceremonies. Is there extra significance for you of having the new center housed specifically in Mackey Auditorium? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, after decades of exclusion to actually be included and in such a, you know, the administration describes having a space in Mackey as having prime real estate mm. on the Boulder campus. I mean, you can see the library from here. You can see the rec, you know, the recreational center here. We're right across from the home of the College of Arts and Sciences, Old Main. We're looking at the quad and everything. So, yeah, I, I think that having a space for us in Mackey is incredibly significant. Uh, and in fact, you know, the conversations with the administration about where the cause would be after we saw that they were going to approve it, there was some really, Ruth, you recall, there were some really tense conversations about making sure we were not placed in a academic ghetto, uh, somewhere (laughs) in the back of Boulder in a basement that you've never heard of, that nobody would ever want to go. But believe me, people want to come to Mackey Auditorium. What's the biggest accomplishment or change that you hope for this new center? That we can actually get all three of our program areas up and running. And um, those are? Cohesively. Um, First and foremost, student services, Mm -hmm. a research program, and an arts program. Most centers on the Boulder campus are research centers mm-hmm. or they're art centers. Right. But to have research program, arts program, and student services in one center, yeah. that's kind of, that's hip hop. We remixed the concept yeah. of a center. Yeah. <laughs> we, Remixing we, our reality. There you go. Yeah. We, 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 
mix. There you go, right? <laughs> All day long. And so like this is sort of like that Africanization, that African-Americanization of a center. I'd like for the cause, our center, to have very special programs and projects where we're pairing students with faculty members or we're pairing undergraduate students with graduate students. Most of the black students are surrounded by white faculty members. Hmm. When some of my students find out I'm first generation, hmm. right, and you went all the way through, that's a model unlike the folks that have legacy. So I understand some of the alienation, some of the isolation that they feel. I feel tight going into the faculty lounge. I used to. I don't go there anymore. I used to feel tight, Chandra, <laughs> going to the faculty lounge when people are sitting around talking about $700 golf shoes and, and drivers and nine irons and I. I don't know what none of that is, right? <laughs> and so for me, it, it just, I feel oftentimes closer to the students because we come from similar backgrounds. You know, we, we know how it is to not have money for books. Ruth have seen students come to me and be like, listen, could you help me get this book? And I walk them straight to the bookstore and get their books. Mm-hmm. We have a student emergency fund that they can tap if they need a computer, if they need books, if they need help paying rent. You've been here 17 years. Can you tell us about some of the experiences you've had that have been challenging over 17 years on this campus? You know, first and foremost, feeling like I don't belong. You know, getting out of my car on the faculty parking lot and people double-taking. You know, it's that, it's that racial gaze thing where people let you know sort of you don't belong or they think you're odd or whatever. Uh, my very first day... <laughs> Uh, coming. And what year was that? Uh, 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got pulled over. Showed the officer my, uh, obviously my driver's license. I've got to move a lot slower than anybody else. I have to talk slow when they pull me over. I cannot keep my information in my glove compartment. I actually asked the officer, I said, hey man, listen, it's in my front pocket. I have no weapons. Would you like to get it? I can step out of the car. I don't want to get shot because I'm wearing my good clothes. I'm about to go lecture. I'm a professor here. After I give the officer my driver's license, give him my faculty ID, and then the situation looks a little different, you know, then. It's really painful to hear Dr. Ibraka talk about, like, the racial trauma that he experienced as a faculty member because that directly reflects what we experience as students. And I think a lot of times, I I know my freshman year, I came here thinking, like, okay, like, once I get my degree, like, it's going to be different, you know, like, things aren't going to happen, but the Mm -hmm. same stories are reflected with being hyper-policed by campus police or city police and um, like racial slurs being used or blackface and like these things are like, I mean, historically are just like patterns of what happens on this campus um, and it it stays yeah. in the air. I mean, a lot of us like in, in the black community, we talk about just like driving up. A lot of us get flashbacks or a lot, just like it's it's eerie and it's it's dark and it's heavy. That's the reality for the black experience in Boulder. Years ago, somebody came here for like a pre-collegiate program, like an introduction to CU Boulder. And she shared with me last week, actually, that somebody wrote the N-word on the whiteboard in front of her dorm room. And she's like, yeah, I'm not coming to Boulder. And she didn't. She went somewhere else. So like these type of stories and experiences are what are like directly related to the lack of like black student recruitment and retention and just like survival and being able to succeed on this campus. 
So, Dr. Rabaka, do you hope that this center will be a draw to get more students of color, particularly um, black and African-American students? Absolutely. When I say recruitment and retention, yes, students, but also staff. Even last year, I met with over half a dozen uh, black faculty that different departments were attempting to recruit. Chandra, it goes even further. For all of the sports fans, it's going to help see you get uh, higher ranked players if mm. they know, right, that there's a center here that's offering student programming, student services five days a week. Mm. That would make all the difference in the world. Why am I saying this? Because the University of Texas has had a black cultural center since 1969. University of California, Berkeley has had one of these since the 60s. Ohio State, I can just, all of our peer institutions, Michigan, I can, all of our peer institutions have had these since the 60s, since the 60s. And here it is, hmm, 2000, <laughs> I'm sorry, oh, I'm about to get hyped, 2022, and we'll get, but at least we got it. Now, let me say, this is something CU Boulder did right. Now, how do we sustain it, though? Now that we're started, as, as the director, I have to think about, well, how do we build on the momentum that we have? And obviously, my larger goal is I want to endow the center before I leave this world and join the ancestors. I want this to go on in perpetuity. This is the institution I have worked at the longest in my entire career. And when I'm gone, I would like for my gift to keep on giving back to CU Boulder. As you mentioned, most universities established these centers decades ago, and CU has centers for Latino and Latin American studies and also indigenous studies and Asian studies. Why did it take so long? African-Americans have a saying, we're the last hired and the first fired. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think it's very easy to marginalize a group of less than 900 you know, students, maybe less than 1,000 students. Um, only about 2% of the student population are black students. Faculty, I think we have about three dozen. So it's very easy. Like you're talking 36, 37,000 students, only about 900 black students. And even more than that, some of the, the students and the staff and the faculty are so racially traumatized, it's hard to think about building community and taking care of others when you actually need to take care of yourself. I think that being in African-American studies and doing it 24-7 is actually quite therapeutic for me. Like right now, Ruth, I actually do feel, I'm beginning to feel a sense yeah. of belonging. And let's be honest, some of the alumni said, listen, uh, Dr. Vaca, professor, I've never given one dime since I left CU Boulder, mm -hmm. but I will give to the cause. Hmm. They said, I will not donate to the, you know, why would I donate to a place that traumatized me, blah, 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 blah. I felt erased. But now with this new center, this is what institutional transformation looks like. So a lot of people have been tap dancing around it. They know that things need to change here. But what do we do to actually make it change? Ruth, what is your hope for this Center for African and African-American Studies at CU Boulder? Of course, we need to recruit black students and faculty, but I think the problem really relies on retention and what that looks like. And the center is literally the hub for supporting people financially socially, with their mental health, and so supporting them as humans and also academically and like as students and faculty and academics. This is an interdisciplinary center, and I hope students can feel that. I hope they can feel 
students and faculty and black people in general can come here and feel supported, can feel like this is their home away from home and a campus that is very isolating and predominantly white and predominantly like just a history of harm. I hope um, that the students can come here and feel the radically transformed as individuals, but then also as community members, because that's what saved me. Of course, the center, the cause, isn't going to fix all the problems. <laughs> it's not going to, you know, racism is not going to end after just because we have this part of the Mackey Auditorium. However, I think it can really work to build and sustain community and retention for, for people that look like us. I had to think back. That was another do the right thing reference. Tell the truth, Ruth. <laughs> oh, you better stop it. Okay. I don't know if you got to see that. Yeah. It's, it's uh, pretty old. But, uh, <laughs> she said it's pretty old. I don't know. <laughs> Have you seen Do the Right Thing? No. All right, that was before you, you was born. Okay. It came out in 1980 lines, That's... Spike Lee. I mean, he <laughs> killed. So this was the film that he made right before Malcolm. Okay. You know what? We're going to have to screen it. Okay, so check this out. <laughs> so nice. Watch this. We're going to have an Africana cinema series. So we're going to be screening films from all over the African world. Along with our Africana Cinema series, we will have a concert series. We will also have a performing arts series. Obviously, I have lots of colleagues in theater and dance. Our arts program is not simply performing arts, but also visual mm -hmm. arts um, as well. What would a CU Boulder or the city of Boulder look like where more people could feel a true sense of belonging? You want to start Ruth is over there making faces. <laughs> it's hard to even imagine for me. It still seems far-fetched for you. Yeah. For me, it's when Martin Luther King Jr. talked about the beloved community. Mm -hmm. a, a community predicated on radical inclusivity. Mm -hmm. We are building a space where no one is unwelcome. I'm talking about without regard to race, gender, class, sexual orientation, ability, disability, nationality, immigration status, whether somebody's incarcerated, formerly incarcerated, right? I want to push the envelope, right? Which is a very African thing because when I go to the continent, people embrace me with open arms, right? So to bring some of that African ethic, mm -hmm. some of that African-American. Right now, if you go to my grandmother's house, right? If you're anywhere in the neighborhood and she saw you, she's going to say, come on in here, baby, have some sweet tea with me. Not even knowing you, right? <laughs> My grandmama leave her front door open, right? Everything. When she go to the beauty shop, you don't have to lock up and everything. I want to live in an environment where we build a beloved community. Shandra, if I can keep it real with you, uh, the cause is also secondarily about creating anti-racist allies mm -hmm. in Boulder. When I ride around this city, I live here in Boulder County, I see people with Black Lives Matter movement signs in their yards. Some of them, they know what I do, they know what I'm about, and they come to me mm -hmm. and say, what, what can I do? Like, I, I, I want to do more than the symbolic solidarity. This is a concept that we keep pushing, right? So we all have a special contribution to make to the cause. This is one of the things that's become like a slogan. I'm trying to get that printed um, on TV. Yeah, yeah. I say that all the time. <laughs> you know, everybody has a contribution to make to the cause, which is what we call our center. And I think that if we, if we really challenge people to ask themselves that question, what can you contribute to this multiracial, to this multicultural, to this feminist, to this queer-friendly, trans-friendly, right, and disability-friendly space? 
I want it to be an experiment that goes well beyond our lifetime. But that's a good question. Do you want others to be able to come here Absolutely. and learn? Absolutely. Others who Absolutely. are not black or African-American. Well, I'm going to just keep it real. Mm -hmm. Who do you think I've been teaching for 17 years? <laughs> African-American studies isn't simply for African-Americans. The students would say, Dr. Ibaka, if they had have had African-American studies K through 12, I would have taken those classes. Mm -hmm. The white students, suburban white students would say, wow, we have to pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and go to college before we can ever get access to African studies and African-American studies. Mm -hmm. How come we're not learning at K through 12? Why is it that you have to come to prestigious universities before you get access to learning about a multiracial, multicultural America, which is what the real America is supposed to be about? Chandra, I think it's also important that this center could be called the Center for Rehumanization. Because what else is the enslavement, right? What else is colonization on the African continent if it's not an attempt to dehumanize human beings? And so we need real allies are going to help us rescue and reclaim our humanity. And when we do that, we will embrace a principle of our center, which is called Ubuntu, which means that I share humanity with everyone in this room. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you for having us. Raylan Rabaka is a professor at the University of Colorado Boulder and the founding director of the new Center for African and African-American Studies. Ruth Wodemichael is a CU Boulder graduate who helped co-found the center as a student. Up next, a new film about the gap between Boulder's image as a utopia and what many people of color say they experience living there. This is Colorado Matters from CBR News and KRCC. You wait for the bus, the weekend, and you wait for your morning coffee to finish brewing. But you don't have to wait to get live news from CPR. Just come to CPR.org or listen live on the Colorado Public Radio app on your phone. You're back with Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. A new film showing at festivals around the country explores in-depth the experiences of Black people in Boulder. It's called This Is Not Who We Are. The not, by the way, is in brackets. The documentary is directed by Katrina Miller and Barrett Strong. Welcome. Thank you so Thank much you. for having us. Katrina, what inspired you to make this film? Uh, well, it's just years of lived experience as a Black person, but it felt a lot more intense once I moved to Boulder from a very diverse military town, just feeling a sense of isolation and just wondering why uh, there were so few African Americans around. And it wasn't enough for me for people to just say, well, that's just what it is. That's just Colorado. I'm from a little town inside of Colorado Springs. But again, we had people from all walks of life there. And I didn't visit CU Boulder before I went to school there. It was like, I have the grades. This has the best journalism program for what I want to do with my life in the state of Colorado. I need in-state tuition. I was just so shocked getting there. And it's more than just being 
a different color. It's just also how you're treated as well, based on being around people who've never even been around Black people before. My college roommate, um, I had two of them, my first semester at CU, told me straight to my face, yeah, I've only seen Black people on TV playing sports. So I thought everything's wow. been going good for you guys, right? And it's things like that that I had to deal with. Yeah, that the lack of exposure definitely was apparent. And it was also, I think you did a amazing job of expressing that in the film, like the climate of the campus and just Boulder in general. So Barrett, let's bring you in here. What about you? Why this project? You know, in my personal journey, some years before we started this project, I was educating myself more about racism as an institutional force in our country. What did the federal government do? You know, what do the banks do? What do the housing industry do? What does, you know, where schools do? And then I was looking at my own racism too. Like you start looking at yourself and going, do I have bias? What formed me? Where am I from? You know, I really grew up someplace more diverse. And I didn't like the fact that when it came to Boulder as an undergrad, I encountered more racism here than I had where I grew up. So we were already working on it when Zayd Atkinson had his, you know, terrifying experience with Boulder police. And that was what broke open the videography part of the film because we were out there in the streets with everybody else. So what happened after we started making the film, which furthered my education, was I was full of, you know, white privilege and enjoying my easy life when I realized we're causing all this harm to our youth here, that they're suffering, that the young people especially black young people are thinking, I don't want to stay here when I turn 18. I got to go. And then my pain that had already preexisted deepened in a new and more localized and more personalized way. Like I'm contributing to this. And as you mentioned, a through line in the film is the story of Zaid Atkinson. I remember that incident and I did hear the reporting, but honestly, I don't know that I had ever really seen the footage, especially as it was drawn out in the film. And it's really compelling. You show many long minutes of the police body camera tape where it's just excruciating listening to this exchange between Zaid and these officers. And they're essentially just challenging his right to be at the building where we learn that he works and lives at. Let's listen to a clip from the film. And at the end, your voice comes in as the narrator, Katrina. Have a Why seat, please. Why would you please. think that you could tase me? I'm freaking picking up trash on my property. I need to confirm it. There's, where I live. There's a sign. I'm not doing anything illegal. The more that I look at the video of that day, the more it feels like Zayd was fighting for his right to belong. Who belongs in Boulder has been a struggle for a long time. So, Katrina, can you say more about why it was important to center so much of the film around this incident with Mr. Atkinson? It was important to center Zaid because it's really a good, uh, good is not really the right word, but it's an example of how hard it was just for me to believe that this man who is complying, Zaid, he's doing what he's asked of, was still continually being asked and harassed. He was minding his business. He was doing something good for his community. It didn't matter, though. He was stopped. He was profiled because of the color of his skin. And this happened so many times, not just in Boulder. It makes no sense how... The word of a white person is what's taken at face value, is what's believed. 
when Zaid was producing physical evidence and telling the officer, I can just get into the building, he was not believed. It wasn't until the white land manager came in and just said, oh, no, he's fine. It was all said and done. There needs to really be some change in policy. There needs to be accountability. There needs to be more consequences. People need to be more forthright. And we should note that the city of Boulder settled a civil suit with Zaid Atkinson over this incident. The city Mm -hmm. never that entire time in this settlement said that this incident had to do with race. And they said it was because there were no racial epitaphs. And I still stand that there don't need to be racial epitaphs for this to be racism. So, again, it's missing the mark in that way to not acknowledge it for what it was. Just admit that this was profiling so that we can fix that issue. Thanks for pointing that out. Barrett, it becomes almost a running joke in the film that Boulder has repeatedly come up with task forces and committees focused on studying ways to become more inclusive and ways to embrace diversity. What were you trying to convey by featuring that? Well, it went really well with a brilliant quote by one of our film subjects, Dr. Thomas Windham, about how we form a committee. He's been here 50 years, so he's an eyewitness to this, and he's also been very involved in, in uh, education. Um, we wanted to say, even if we go out and march for Zaid, which we did, if we just fall back in our old habits, and another character uh, who's a youth character talks about how nobody who's white is really bothered. We're all comfortable. So I feel like we as a community have very old habits and habits of privilege. Like there's so many wealthy people in Boulder and yet there also are a bunch that aren't. And um, the wealthy people like it that way. We don't want apartment buildings in our neighborhoods and blah, blah, blah. So there's so many levels of change that have to happen for us to be a different community. And the film is an invitation to people to join in on that, to really uh, let's talk, let's strategize, let's get to work. Katrina, the title of your film, as we said, is This Is Not Who We Are. What inspired the name and does it in any way speak to a contradiction you see between the stereotype of the bolder liberal and the less inclusive place you and many other people describe? As with art, what I like to do with this title is let people interpret it as they want to. But I'll say for me... What's most prevalent is that we are not the community that people think that we are based on what's out there in the media, based on the stories that come out of Boulder, all the headlines about Boulder being one of the number one cities to live in the U.S. Um, That's not who we are, but... We can change that knot. We can easily change that knot. It doesn't have to be there. The film explores a diverse mix of Black people's experiences in Boulder. For example, a barbershop owner who's displaced from his commercial space, a barista who deals with micro and arguably macro aggressions in terms of comments from customers daily. And then there's a little girl who speaks so honestly and bravely about standing up to a bully. But then she breaks down in tears when she hears the story of Zaid Atkinson. It literally 
broke my heart to watch this little girl so affected at such a young age. Why was it important to share such a diverse mix of stories? It does plenty of things, but people can't say, oh, well, that only happens to adults or, oh, that only happens if you're in this environment or that environment. And we're like, no, these are people that we just turn the camera on and let them speak about what's it been like to be black in Boulder. And this is what come up. If we would have talked to more people, more stories would have come up. Celine in particular, you know, her inclusion in the film was very important for me. I'm a mother of two elementary school students and My son experienced his first encounter with racism when he was in first grade. I did talk to him about racism, very age appropriate, and he was able to come out of that incident without losing any self-dignity and to be stronger and not believe this other kid because of what I had told him. And it honestly brought out this really great opportunity with the school to talk about inclusion and racism and what we're supposed to be talking to our kids. To not talk to them about racism doesn't just make racism go away. Yeah, it seems virtually impossible to watch that clip and not be emotional. The film also reaches back into history. Barrett, who is a notable figure in early Boulder's history who you feature in the film who may have been forgotten or possibly not heard of at all by many? You know, Ruth Flowers, our oral history character in the film who got here in like 1917, you know, she, um, I think, is little known and has a whole lot to say because she went back to Boulder High in her older age. She was an educator and told those students what was what about what had happened in 40 years of Boulder, what had changed, what hadn't changed in terms of of racism. There are a lot of cities that are kind of like Boulder in some way that could look more deeply into their own history and see what's going on they didn't realize. Katrina, who do you hope sees this film and what do you hope they will get out of watching it? You know, there are two different (laughs) answers to that. There's before the film came out and since the film has been out. I was really concerned about honoring the African-American community that's in Boulder and making sure that I was giving them voice and Mm -hmm. something that if they watch this film, they could say, yes, that's how I've been feeling. And, you know, it's validated moreover because it's on this screen. But what happened after the film was something unexpected for me. You know, the homogenous community, the white community, was all really, a lot of the people who are coming to the film, all really listening and really receptive and wanted to know what to do next. What are the next steps? How can I be an ally? How can I be an abolitionist? Okay. And I'm getting these questions and reactions that I've never really heard before from white people. And then I see this other larger purpose that I didn't know was possible. I guess the question that kept coming up in my mind is, why stay in Boulder? I am staying in Boulder because this is my home and this is where I have decided to raise my children. And there should be no other reason than that. You know, a life path has led me here. In-state college tuition, met my husband 18 years ago. You know, this is just where I'm staying. I love the mountains. I should not be pushed out of a place that claims so much that it is progressive. I want to stay here and really help to make Boulder 
that place. And it's been so, um, so great to come out with this film because I feel like it's happening. And there's no way I can leave now because the change is coming and I have to be here when it happens. And hopefully my kids will stay here and go to school. So... Filmmakers Barrett Strong and Katrina Miller, their documentary is This Is Not Who We Are. It screens at the Crested Butte Film Festival later this month. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield, with special thanks to Rachel Estabrook and Pete Kramer. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC.